six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner, had been, here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served whilst Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about half a litre of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was in, in, put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. This is the word of the Lord. Evening, everybody. My name's Ruth. I'm part of the staff team here. And just in case you think you've got a sense of deja vu, yes, we did have this passage last week. But that was in the morning service, and this is the evening service. And different preachers, so completely different. Anyway, let's pray. I'll stop rabbiting on. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word to us. Thank you for people who faithfully were eyewitnesses of what happened when you were on earth and wrote it down for us today. We pray that you would help us to gain something new from this well-known passage this evening. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So this is an absolute jewel of a story. I love this story. And it's set just a few days before Jesus died. And what we're going to do tonight is take a look at the different characters in the story and their different reactions to what was going on. And we're going to then focus in on the central figures that moving and intimate moment that is in the midst of all the busyness that was going on around them with Jesus and Mary. So just to set the scene, this event occurs at the end of Jesus' ministry years on earth. In John's account, he has this day, um, the day before Palm Sunday, so it was yesterday for us today, if you like. And so on today, he was going to be entering into Jerusalem as a king on the back of a donkey. But this is just before that. And it's a few days after he'd last been in Bethany. And Bethany is just a small village, just a few miles outside of Jerusalem. Now, the time he'd been in Bethany before had been rather an extraordinary day. He'd raised Lazarus from the dead not something that happens very often. And Lazarus had been dead for four days, so he was well and truly dead. And now Jesus is back, staying with Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. And he's enjoying their company, sharing food. And it's a meal that is held to honour Jesus. I don't know if you can even imagine what the conversation must have been like. Dinner with the newly resurrected. It doesn't happen every day, does it? What do you talk about, I wonder? 
But the thing was, this was a safe place for Jesus to be. The home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha was somewhere where he could relax. He could be himself. He was amongst friends. It was a safe place. And he was also aware of what was going to be happening to him as the week drew on. So this was a time for him to gather strength, to settle, to spend some time probably with his father too. But of course, there were quite a few other people there as well, weren't there? Um, and in fact, we can look at this and see that we're all almost concentric circles of people radiate, radiating out from the cameo that's going on right at the centre. First of all, there are the crowds cry, trying to catch a glimpse of Lazarus and Jesus together. We're told that quite a large group of Jews had followed Jesus, managed to track him down. And so they wanted to see him and this um, newly undead man. Um, it's, you know, it's quite a big event. And then you've got the disciples, they're there too, they're eating dinner around the table with Jesus. These men that were his closest friends, his trusted allies. And then Mary and Martha, and of course Martha's doing all the busyness because that's what Martha does. And um, serving and probably organising all the other servants and serving the food. And finally Mary, right in the middle of it all, worshipping the Lord. The Lord that she loved, her friend the person that she wants to honour, in the midst of all this chaos. Now, it might seem quite a strange scene to us. We, if I hold a dinner party, I don't expect hordes of people just to come in and have a look. Um, my household's not quite that strange. But, of course, eastern houses were often built around a central courtyard. And meals would be served there, and they were open to all. So people did just walk in. The invited guests would be there. They would be reclining around the table, but others might just pop in to see what was going on. A bit bored, go down and see what's happening at Lazarus's house. And of course the women were just busy cooking, serving, keeping out of the way, but making sure that everyone had what they wanted. In effect, this place in Bethany that day was the hottest place to be in town. It was the hottest ticket around. But the different attitudes that we encounter are really fascinating as this story unfolds. Firstly, of course, there's people there who are just purely curious, just downright nosy, frankly. They've come to have a look. Celebrity culture is nothing new, is it? People had heard about Jesus, they wanted to see him, and then the fact that Lazarus was there as well was an added bonus. These days, I'm sure that all the celebrity magazines, like Hello and OK, not that I read them, um, would have been there, wouldn't they, with their, perhaps their helicopters over top, or a drone, trying to get the best photo. It'd be great the photo caption competitions afterwards would have been quite good, wouldn't they, really? I'll leave you to imagine the headlines that might have been going on. It would have been the talk of the town. Were you there last night? Did you see them together? Jesus and Lazarus? What an event. Did you hear about Mary? Did you hear what she did? That perfume, I can still smell it. I wonder how quickly the stories spread. And I wonder, at the end of that week, on the Friday, whether anybody thought about that event as Jesus was hanging on a cross. I wonder if anybody saw anything different in Jesus, the man at the centre of the, it all, the man who was being anointed. Or were they just sidetracked by what was going on? Of course, we know that the authorities were really rattled by it. 
their solution was to plot to kill Jesus and Lazarus. So if there's a problem, if we're getting our authority threatened, well, we'll just kill them. Get rid of the problem. It's one solution, I suppose. They were scared that they were losing power, so they had to settle it once and for all. So my first question tonight is, I wonder why we're here tonight. I wonder why you're here tonight. Perhaps you're here merely out of curiosity. Perhaps you're interested to see what all the fuss is about. Perhaps your friend has been nagging you about Jesus, and you've come to see what it's all about for yourself. But you're not willing to get drawn in too far, because these people might be a bit odd. But you're keen to have a look, and you're keen to ask some questions and find out a bit more about what's going on. And if that's you, then you're really welcome. We're glad you're here. And your questions are welcome too. We're not afraid of questions. So chat to someone afterwards or perhaps join in our next Alpha course. We want to help you learn more. We'd love to help you get to know this Jesus that we know. We'd love to help you to know him for yourself. So that's the first group, the nosy or curious onlookers. But of course, secondly, there were the people who'd been invited, weren't there? These were the dinner guests and the family. And they were there celebrating the fact that Lazarus, their brother, their friend, was alive again. And they were honouring this man, Jesus, who'd made this possible. And they were rejoicing with Mary and Martha. But they were a mixed bunch as well. The disciples had been with Jesus for nearly three years now. They were his closest friend, trusted allies. And yet they were a really mixed bag, weren't they? Fishermen, tax collectors, zealots, Judas, Judas the group's treasurer. And they all had different agendas, all there for slightly different reasons. But they were all sensing that their time with Jesus was getting shorter. He'd been talking to them about the fact that he was going to leave them soon. And so they were sensing something was up, something was happening. Perhaps there was a feeling that things were coming to an end. And they were also realising that the authorities really were not happy with what was going on. And then the immediate family, thrilled and relieved that their brother has been restored to them. And acting totally in character. Martha, as usual, busy, whizzing around, doing everything. And Mary sat at Jesus' feet. Only this time, Martha's not telling her off for doing that. But the different attitudes provide us with um, a starkly contrasting picture, don't they? Because Mary is completely consumed by her desire to worship her Lord, her friend. This man who has given her back her brother. And so she pours out her love in this very extravagant gesture. And she humbles herself publicly, spectacularly, in front of all these people. Whereas Judas, this close friend of Jesus, looks on in horror and he sees only the waste. He doesn't see any love or worship. He just sees pound signs disappearing or shekel signs probably. So what was nard? Well, it's a very costly perfume and it's still around and it gets imported from India. And I found out from Mr. Google that this, it's the, comes from the stamens of a very resinous plant. And it takes six tons of stamens, so the tiny little fiddly bits in the middle, to make eight fluid ounces of essential oil. 
That's really, really high maintenance stuff, isn't it? That's labour intensive. It would cost a lot to make. And so a pint, 20 fluid ounces, they said half a litre, is a lot of nard. In the scripture, it says it's about a year's salary for a, a labourer, because a labourer was paid about one denarius. This was just over 300 denarii. So it's a lot of money, a lot for an ordinary person to spend at that time. So Judas is just shocked at the waste. He sees it only in terms of money that could be used for something else. But don't be fooled by this, we could have given it to the poor line. Because John, the author of this gospel, doesn't allow us to think that. He points out that Judas's motives were far more related to what he could get out of it. He says that Judas was used to having the pot of money, the, um, the purse, and he would dip into it every now and again for his own means, his own benefit. John calls him a thief and a liar. Judas wanted that money for himself. And he is incapable of seeing this act for what it was, an act of worship, an outpouring of this woman's heart in worship to the Lord. How tragic for Judas that his own greed and self-centeredness should blind him to what was going on right in front of him. How sad that he only saw waste when what was being poured out was love and worship. So I wonder this evening how we approach Jesus, how we approach worship of the Lord. Do we sometimes calculate how much we're giving in terms of time or effort? Or whether our reputation will suffer if we're seen to be going to worship Jesus in church? Is our pride perhaps, is my pride more important than giving Jesus glory and honour? Do we worry sometimes that people go too far or give too much of themselves and it all gets a bit embarrassing? Do we get nervous around public displays of affection for Jesus? Perhaps we think that worship should be kept a private thing, that we shouldn't be displaying to the world. Does this story perhaps make us uncomfortable at a level we don't quite understand? It's really made me think about how I react to people who might worship God in a way that I don't think is perhaps normal or I'm not comfortable with. Perhaps I find it, well, I know I find it far too easy sometimes to get a bit anxious if the Holy Spirit does something that he hasn't consulted me about first. So that's something I'm expecting. It's about losing control, isn't it? Often we don't like it when things get a bit messy. And yes, the Bible says that our worship needs to be honouring to God and it needs to be ordered. But what a tragedy if we miss what he is wanting to do because we're too worried about our own appearances, our own pride. If we missed the possibility of having an encounter like Mary had with Jesus, that would be a real tragedy. And so finally, we get to the centre of this scene A woman kneeling beside a man at his feet, pouring oil, a pint of oil, over his feet and wiping them with her hair. It's like a very small oasis of beauty and calm. It 
It's a quiet, intimate, holy moment. And it's right at the centre of all this busyness and noise and kerfuffle and people watching. But also it's potentially really shocking to those who witnessed it. This pint of costly oil is a huge statement. And we're told that the fragrance filled the whole house, so there was absolutely no escaping what Mary had done. She couldn't hide it. That smell would have gone right round the whole of every room. People would have taken it away with them. And added to that fact is the fact that this is Mary, a respectable woman, who's got her hair loose in company, in, those, in public. In those days, it was only prostitutes who let their hair down. But here she is at the feet of a man who's not her husband. He's not even a close relative. He's just a friend. And she's kneeling next to him with her hair loose, pouring oil out over them. The gossips would have had an absolute field day. But for Mary, this is the only way she can think of to convey the depths of her gratitude for what Jesus, her friend, has done for her and for her family, and especially for her brother. It's her thankfulness that just flows out of her, through the oil, through the touch of her hands, through the use of her hair, and through her willingness to relinquish her pride. She's so totally focused on her worship of this man who has rescued her brother, Everything else just fades into insignificance. We get the sense from this passage that Mary really wasn't aware of what was going on around her. She was so focused on her love for her Lord, her friend. You can almost feel the sense of complete calm and serenity, coupled with the passion that she has to express her gratitude. And it's a scene, if you think about it, that engages lots of our senses, doesn't it? You can almost hear that silence in the midst of the chaos. You can see the actions of Mary. They are stark visual impact, contrast to what's going on. And you can smell, almost smell the aroma of the perfume as it starts to permeate through the house. And what is so beautiful is that Jesus accepts this as Mary intended it. He accepts her worship. He sees her worshiping heart and he tells Judas to leave her alone. So back off, Judas. I know what she's doing. And he alludes to the fact that what Mary is doing is actually a foreshadowing of what's going to happen later on in the week. It's going to happen to Jesus over the next few days. This was extravagant worship, wasn't it? Mary's actions were extravagant both in terms of money and reputation. And they were equally costly too. But Jesus accepts her worship as his due, and he commends her for it. And John notes it down, so we're still talking about it today, in 2019. And her worship is in response to the resurrection of her brother, a man she loved and who was precious to her. But he was still a human, and he would ultimately die again. So at the start of Holy Week, we have the opportunity, don't we, to think about that amazing gift that God gave us through Jesus. Think again of the enormous sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf that first Good Friday. Because we know how the story ends. Mary at that point didn't. We know 
the impact that that sacrifice had on how we can live our lives today. We understand much more today because we have this book about the mission of Jesus and what it cost him to live and to die amongst us. But I wonder sometimes if my worship, if our worship really expresses the sense of gratitude that we feel. Or to put it another way, I wonder if we truly understood just how much we have to be grateful for. Would our worship of Jesus change? I'm asking me this as well. Because it's relatively easy, isn't it, to turn up to church on a Sunday and join in with the service and go home again as if nothing happened. I know that because I've done it far too often myself. So I wonder what extravagant worship would look like for us today. And as Adam said a couple of weeks ago, this is not about saying that we should all be flag-waving and cartwheeling up and down the um, aisles. Certainly not me. We really, really wouldn't want that. I'm not safe with a flag. And it does not mean that we should be going down to the house of Fraser down the road and buying the most expensive bottle of perfume and coming back and spreading it around the church. might be nice, but it might be a bit much if we all you know, mix the perfumes up. That's not what we're saying here. Because each person who comes to Jesus comes into his presence bringing their own personality and their own gifts. We come as we are. We come with all our mess and our brokenness. Some of us bounce into Jesus' presence because that's the way we are. Others just crawl because that's all they can do. But that's okay because we're unique individuals. We're all different. Jesus loves us just as we are. So this next week, this Holy Week, gives us the opportunity to spend time thinking about what costly worship really looks like. For us individually, for us corporately. And to think about how we can better express our gratitude to Jesus for all that he has done for us. And so as we draw to a close, let's just take time to think about where we would have placed ourselves in this story. I wonder if you're just a curious onlooker, interested to see what's going on, but not wanting to get too close. That's okay. You're here. Or perhaps you're here, but you're slightly oblivious to what's going on. Perhaps you were one of those who was in the crowd and just getting stuck into the food. I don't know. Glad to have been invited, pleased to help celebrate, but that's all. Or perhaps sometimes we're scandalised by the waste or the mess or the shame of what costly worship looks like. Or perhaps you want to get as close to Jesus as you possibly can. Perhaps you want to be where Mary is enveloped in that quiet intimacy at the centre of this busy scene. Perhaps you just long to be able to pour out your love and your worship to Jesus, perhaps in a way you've never done before. Well, whatever position you're in this evening, know that you are loved and known by God. Know that you are precious to him. Know that you can come as close to him as you dare. So I guess my question for all of us is, why don't we come closer tonight?
I'm going to ask the band to come back. We're just going to take some time just thinking about this story. Perhaps you'd like to close your eyes, imagine that scene. Imagine where you might have been within it. And we'll just let the Holy Spirit work with us. So Lord God, we just ask you by your Holy Spirit to come and just show us where we are. Show us who we are in your sight. And help us to get closer to you. As we were praying earlier before the service, there was a sense that there may be somebody here, or more than one person, who feels that they are a bit like the servants, that were there, were involved, but were too busy, and they couldn't break away. And they were only servants anyway, so they felt as though they had no opportunity or no right to be close to Jesus. That's not true. God loves you. Another word we had was that you are a child of God. You can come as close to Jesus as you want. It's okay to stop being busy. It's okay to come close. Somebody else had the word freedom. Christ has come to set us free. So perhaps free from that sense of business. Free from the fear of getting too close. There was also a word about somebody who perhaps feels that they've got the potential. They know God is there. It's a bit like when gas fills a room. It only takes a tiny little light to spark it off. Perhaps that's what you need. Perhaps you need someone to pray with you that God will just ignite love for him tonight. in a moment we're going to stand together and sing if you do want prayer you can either come up now to the front and someone will come and pray with you or there will be opportunity afterwards at the end of the service but let's just pray Father God thank you that each person here is known by you loved by you is precious to you Thank you that you want each of us to come closer. And we just pray, Lord, that you would set people free. 
you would help people to stop being busy. Stop making perhaps excuses about coming close because everyone is welcome. Thank you for your incredible outpouring of love for us. Lord, our worship will never, ever match what you gave for us. But Lord, we want it to be better. We want to give more. And so just help us this Holy Week to really think about what it is you want from us. And just to think again of the wonder of your sacrifice for us. And we ask all this in your name. Amen. So if you'd like to stand.